What's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast crew. Uh, we are here with you. Richard, what's going on? Hey, everyone. What's going on? Seth, how's it going? Going good, guys. Going good. Episode 55. Uh, so we're mainly just going to be talking a lot about Pro Tour. Uh, wild weekend. Uh, interesting uh, Pro Tour. A lot of different uh, storylines and uh, just everything going on with, with the Pro Tour after the bannings, after Oath of the Gatewatch has been released. Uh, totally took a, a huge turn away from what we were talking about last week. So uh, we're just going to talk about that. We have some fish mail to address. But, uh, yeah, interesting top eight. So, Seth, we have the we have the advantage of you kind of setting the tone here. So you wrote a couple articles for the site. Um, you broke down the meta. Uh, you talked about the top eight. So just want to get everyone's just preliminary reactions. Um, I was covering it all weekend as of you both – you know, both of you were doing so as well. We got to watch the Super Bowl, so that was that was uh, all good. Everything ended way before the Super Bowl, so but that that's to be uh, expected with a top eight uh, with with what we got in the top eight. So yeah, just um initial reactions, um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Richard. So I think it was the best pro tour that I've ever seen. <laughs> so I thought it was really good. Uh, so if we just put aside the boogeyman for a second. Uh, the coverage was awesome this year. They had all of those, uh, you know, inside the the pro houses. They had BDM on the floor. You got to see the production behind the scenes. So they did an awesome job filling up the dead space uh, between matches this year. So that was awesome. Uh, for some reason, the limited section was really good this year. I have no idea why, but this was the first time I was actually actively engaged in all the matches. Uh, so production-wise, awesome pro tour and uh, Aldrazi-wise, that's the big story here. I thought that was an awesome thing uh, for the Pro Tour, and it, it's getting everyone to talk about Modern, getting to talk about Magic. Uh, so I think Wizards kind of did their job, and it somehow promoted the new set as well in a Modern Pro Tour. So I think all around it was an awesome Pro Tour. Yeah. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, um, it was an interesting weekend. I, I In some sense, <laughs> I agree with Richard. I really enjoyed watching the Pro Tour. It was a blast it was cool to see new cards there was a lot of players i really liked that performed well the production was the best i've ever seen out of official wizards coverage like we didn't have like these sometimes awkward and clunky features between rounds like the features were actually really interesting and relevant to the coverage so it was a really good weekend of magic and the coverage uh it, it was also a little scary when you think about what the state of modern might be going forward. Like that's my concern is moving forward, but for the weekend, like setting everything else aside, it was great. And it was just a great weekend for magic players and fans of magic and for wizards. Yeah. So not to get into right away, the bands, 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 emergency ban, like ban everything, um, you know, rallying cry that's going on just to kind of dissect what I, what I saw over the weekend. Uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a lot different than what we were discussing as just of last week. Um, and this Aldrazi was really kind of just took over the tournament. But as as negative as that seems, you know, on the surface, that's really what everyone wants to see at a pro tour, right? I mean, we were just discussing this, uh, Richard, um, you specifically uh, before the cast. Uh, that's what people want to see. People want to see this deck that, like, takes over a pro tour and it's really cool and, like, I mean, maybe this is not, like, the coolest deck you've ever seen, but it was pretty awesome to see, like, you know, this Eldrazi was just every round just, like, going through and just, like, destroying, like, everything that was going against. And then we ended up with a 6 out of 8. I mean, we haven't seen a dominated top 8 like this since Callblade. Uh, you wrote a couple articles about this stuff, too. We haven't seen this in a really long time. So it was just a shock to see, and I think everyone was more shocked than kind of upset. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day... There is a little bit of abusiveness that's going on with uh, this list. Uh, it definitely seems like this could be something that needs to be looked at very quickly. And um, Aaron Forsyth um, over Twitter kind of echoed those sentiments that they're definitely going to be watching after this, uh, after the Pro Tour more intently to see where we go from here. Uh, I don't know really where we do go from here. I don't know how you combat this. Uh, in terms of the actual event, the coverage was great. Uh, they, they, I liked how they really kind of switched around to different deck lists. It definitely seems like they put a little bit of forethought into what we were seeing each round. Because I know, I know for a while, I know uh, like something that bothers, <laughs> especially you and I, said is like 
for like five rounds in a row, they would show like Bloom Titan and like that's that's all we get to see for the entire round. So I really like that like in between games they would go around and at least like show showcase like different feature matches every round and do their best to let us see, you know, different lists. So overall really great. Um so to switch gears, I don't know where really we go from here in, in Modern. And uh, as someone who follows Modern, uh, I was rooting for Affinity, like trying to stick with my artificial intelligence <laughs> to try to take down the space aliens. But I, I really don't know. It, it just seems like everyone's turning to a bunch of really fringe, either fringe archetypes or just fringe, terrible sideboard plans that like don't really seem to be like the trump card here. Uh, I'll let you uh, talk a little bit about that, Seth. So, um, yeah, just speaking from your articles and um, where we go from here in Modern. All right. Well, I mean, as far as what happened at the Pro Tour, Eldrazi was historically dominant, like unbelievably, even more so than Callblade, just like by the numbers of players it put in the top eight and in the top 20 or 32, like it was insanely, insanely good. Like it's hard to even put words to how dominant it was. And I think that's fine for a tournament. We've seen it before in the past. There was the infamous GP Flash Hulk in 2004, where seven of the eight decks in the top eight played this broken Flash Hulk combo. And then they emergency banned uh, Flash shortly after that. There was an Elves uh, in Berlin 2008 Pro Tour, where six of the top eight were. So this is something that happens once every 10 years, seven years. Like, it takes a long time. Uh, the problem with this Eldrazi deck is that the Eldrazi themselves are not that great. Like, they're fine. Reality Smasher is a decent card. Thought Not Seer is a good card. Eldrazi Mimic is passable, I guess. The problem is it gets to play this mana base, <laughs> and there's just nothing yeah. you can do about it. Like, you could take out the three best Eldrazi from the format and make people play, as we saw, Eldrazi Sky Spawner and Drowner of Sorrows, an intro pack rare, and you can still win the Pro Tour because your mana is just putting you two turns ahead of everyone else in the format. So that's the problem, and I don't know how you compete with that. We saw Blood Moon. Blood Moon wasn't fast enough. Just naturally playing a Blood Moon on turn three, you're dead or so far behind at that point that you it doesn't even really matter a lot of games. It, in, yeah. Affinity can't consistently beat it. It can sometimes steal games with plating, but it's there's just not a consistent answer for it. So people are talking about ensnaring bridges and ghostly prisons and weird cards that are obviously horrible. So I think that the, <laughs> the long-term answer is they're going to have to ban one or both of those lands. Over the short term, people can play weird strategies and try to give it a go, but I think that that's what's going to happen in the long term. Yeah. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know why everyone's panicking. Like, without a doubt, in my mind, 100%, something will get banned, right? The question is when it will happen, and until then, just just enjoy you know, all this weird brewing and this domination by this deck, right? If you, know, <laughs> if you follow the Pro Tour and you're reading the, the tweets as they were coming on, like, Kibler had some great tweets, right? <laughs> like, here's one. The game was over in four turns. The players cast 27 mana worth of spells between them, <laughs> right? You basically had workshop decks and mox decks, right? <laughs> mox being yeah. the opals, right? Like, the mana is just so fast and ridiculous. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And we, we, we know it's broken. Like, you can't, you know, you can't beat fast mana, right? So the metagame will warp so insanely to beat it that, you know, it, it's so warped, you're going to ban it anyways. Or, like, you can't even beat it, right? So they're going to ban it anyway. So either way, this this deck is going to go. I have total faith that Wizards will do the right thing, so I'm not really concerned. And until then, we can talk about our terrible brews with ensnaring bridges and, you know, trying to get some prison deck going and stuff like that. So I think it's... It's actually quite fun, and it's a fun time for modern. Like, so much interest in modern, and it'd be yeah. so much better than if, you know, it was Affinity versus Jund Finals or something. You know, people talk about it for the weekend and forget about it. But now we have another couple of weeks or months of modern brewing to uh, to go through. Yeah, I'm not really... I really try to stay level-headed and don't try to, like, immediately call for emergency bans and all this. Like, I, I at least want the the modern format to try and at least solve this problem organically. Like that's the whole point of these non-rotating eternal formats or, you know, whatever you want to label them as is that there is a large pool of cards and somewhere in there, there could be some hidden, you know, hate or hidden strategies that we haven't really tapped into yet that maybe they can just solve this organically. I don't know how like, 
we're going to go about it or how the metagame is going to look going forward. It might be really lopsided into, you know, into the, to the point where people are just playing Eldrazi and decks to beat Eldrazi. So I don't know if there's going to be room for a lot, like much more else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like it's pretty abusive. I, I do, I can't deny that they're probably going to do something about it, but yeah, I mean, in the meantime, it, it was a pro tour, you know, a deck really kind of took over kind of like Callblade did. There wasn't really ever an answer for Callblade. Don't know if there's going to be an answer for this other than just everyone play Eldrazi. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets solved. And if it doesn't, then they'll, they'll likely do something about it and we move on, um, which kind of scares me because then uh, we lose the fast deck in Eldrazi and then we're back to Affinity being the one <laughs> <expert laughs> chopping block. So, you know, you can't win. I mean, hopefully Eldrazi sticks around long enough that I could just play Affinity for a little while longer before, you know, Seth and everyone else on the band train just starts coming my way and it lands on my station. Yeah, I was talking to Seth during the Pro Tour and I'm like, oh man, Affinity just dodged a bullet here (laughs) (laughs) because Aljazi is getting hit by the band hammer and, you know, Mox Opal, Cranial Plating or Ravager or whatever is going to survive another banning because uh, we have a scapegoat this time around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's great that everyone kind of, like, looks my way and it's like, well, you get to play off Affinity for a while, Walker. And I'm like, yeah, great. Until, uh, you know, I have Ugin or Temple or both or Band, and then we're right back to, should we ban Mox Opal? <laughs> and should, should we ban uh, Cradial Plating? And I'm like, oh. See, the, the thing is, Affinity, good. you can sideboard three or four hate cards. And that's what I keep good, saying. But right? Like, you know, there, there are devastating hate cards like Shatterstorm, Stony Silence. Like, with graveyard decks, there, there's, like, ley lines and stuff you can put in to just hose them. With the Eldrazi deck, there's no such card. Like, yeah, you can put in Snaring Bridges, but you got to build your whole deck around it. You can't just jam pouring Snaring Bridges into Jund and Call of the Day, right? Like, that, that doesn't work, right? And... You know, Wizards does not like land destruction. You can't have a wasteland. Wizards does not like turn one or turn two combos. You can't go faster than them. And then you end up fighting the spare deck that has, you know, basically like 16 Tarmogoyfs, where some of them are Vendillion clicks, some of them are Ball Lightnings, and like, you just can't win, right? Like, if Thunderball Hellkite costs three mana, like, how can you beat it? (laughs) If Siege Rhino costs two mana, like, what are you going to do? Right? This is the Eldrazi deck, right? You got to stop that fast mana, and... You know, you can't turn one Wasteland or turn one Strip Mind them. So kind of just got to play some weird game with prison locks and stuff or just wait for the Banhammer, right? I keep saying that. I mean, there's definitely... If you want to beat Affinity, you can beat uh, Affinity. It's not that clear-cut with the Eldrazi list, but apparently four Stony Silences in your sideboard isn't good enough for you, is it, Seth? So... (laughs) (laughs) uh... I think now you just made it your mission to try and change my deck. (laughs) After all these years. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, my the card I wanted to see banned before the tournament was Ink Moth. And I don't think that hurts you that no, much. No, no, like, your deck is no, still absolutely. fine without Ink Moth. Yeah. So. You don't like Infect? Why Ink Moth? Uh, uh, mostly because it, I don't like Infect. And it would it would hurt Affinity a little bit. And I, I before the Pro Tour, I was thinking that Infect and Affinity would be two of the best decks. And they actually, they were. It was just that Eldrazi was way better than anything else. But if you look yeah. at the next decks in line, Affinity and Infect are definitely on the list. Well, actually, I think there were more people showed up, like more people showed up with Burn and Inf- uh, Affinity and then... Affinity, and then Eldrazi and Infect took up the next two slots. So it was like kind of weird that people. I mean, it was it was kind of like what we were saying is that people did think Affinity and Burn were the next like the next runner up to be the best decks in the format with Twin Gone and Bloom Titan Gone, and it was pretty much that's what people thought. Except then they ran into these Eldrazi lists and uh, uh, I, did not end well. I have to say that one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend is the fact that the channel Fireball deck showed up with the four main deck Chalice of the Voids, which is like <laughs> yeah. the ultimate burn hate card. So burn was the most played deck in the tournament and ended up being like the absolute, I think it put one deck with a winning record. It started with 51 players and one person managed to go six, four and better with burn. So it just hey. completely destroyed burn, which is so sweet. Cause I, I hate Burn more than I hate Ink Moth. You know I, I don't think they even need Chalice to beat Burn. I don't think Burn's fast enough to beat, yeah. you know, 5-5 five, five hasty tramplers coming down in turn 3, buffing up your Mimic, right? Like, 
return four drowner hopes. Now they have like ten million. Yeah, like I think you can let the firm players sling all the spells to the face, and they still can't outrace the Eldrazi deck. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. the scary part, right? You don't even need that. Yeah. Like uh, I remember one of the games with uh, Gloriel's Vengeance, and I think it was the eventual winner, uh, JC Tao. He just untaps and then like slams, uh, slams the guy in, with like seventeen damage on turn four, and it's like, oops. Right, whereas uh, the Glorious Vengeance player thought he had another turn to untap and try to combo off, and it's just like, nope, like here you go. So yeah. the deck is like Congra- scary fast. Congrats to JC Tao, by the way. It definitely, we were laughing like all all weekend and even before the cast. Like it's crazy how the blue red list was like it preyed upon the other Eldrazi list, and it was it was playing all these wacky like draft like stuff but i mean it really was i mean it's not that they're bad i mean normally i guess they would be but in in this deck like eldrazi sky spawner vile aggregate um Trowner hope like those were real cards like that did real things it was nuts turns out when you get a two to four mana discount like <laughs> any card becomes good <laughs> i guess so yeah it it does yeah. take some courage though to show up at a pro tour and say i'm gonna play all these like intro pack rares and completely unplayable and limited cards like do can you imagine like signing up registering that deck like there has to be some amount of doubt you have to think Am I am I really should I not just be playing Tarmogoyf or like Scapeship? Like, am I really gonna write down Aldrazi Sky Spawner on this list for a pro? You, you, you show up, you fan out your deck list one more time, and you're like, so this is it, huh? Like, this is really what we're doing. Okay, let's do it. He, he was working on the budget. He had to draft his deck the day before, and he's like, look, I got these draft leftovers. Let me borrow your Ivugids. We can do this. I would not be surprised if he drafted the day before, got picked up two rooms guys he's like oh, you know what <laughs> at one mana this really isn't that bad <laughs> like oh man the interest of like really crazy pro tour i gotta say like as much as everyone's gonna hate on this eldrazi list and it's probably gonna show up everywhere until something happens um it was really interesting i mean the, the games were amazing i love the fact that the top eight went back to five games um I don't know what you guys thought of that, but I, I thought that was really awesome. I, I like that it went back to five. Well, it was really important for this Pro Tour because it would have right. been over in an hour if they played <laughs> played regular matches because the games went so fast. Yeah. But but I think it's a good change overall. It was crazy. Like, like the last round, like, we started up and, like, two minutes later they were already having, like, results from – from a table it was like nuts i don't know like i think you tweeted this chaz like during round 15 or something they go to the feature match it ends in two minutes like oh let's go over here with our burn versus (laughs) oh this one's over too oh let's go over here oh this one just concluded too like the whole feature match area is just empty yeah (laughs) it was like so fast all the deck yeah yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. Um, to look at just like a couple other the de- uh, of the other decklists, like I and you asked me this like beforehand, uh, Seth, like what my thoughts were on really like if affinity. I mean, there was two affinity lists in the top eight, and yeah, I mean it's it's nuts to think that like affinity even didn't have like a good chance at beating this list, and this was like the fastest list in the format. And uh, when you're packing main deck ratchet bomb or main deck uh chalice of the void it's really hard to win um in addition to what you were saying richard they play like eight creature lands so it's like it's even worse that you get through all these creatures maybe i mean if that and then you're stuck with a whole bunch of blockers to get through in their mana base and if you don't land a early cranial plating, it's pretty much over. I mean, your creatures aren't going to match up against theirs, like, at all. They're always going to trade their matter reshaper. I mean, even Eldrazi Mimic and Endless One are just can be thrown out there to just block and, like, create issues. And Thought Knots here, like, if you're not playing Galv Blast, you really can't deal with that either. So they play Thought Knots here, rip your cranial plating out of your opening hand, out of your opening hand and it's over. Like... And then Gutshot takes care of the signal pest, so... The hilarious thing is the Etch Champion gets protection from nothing. <laughs> it really, yeah. And your and main Etch, yeah, Etch Champion literally does nothing. Oh, Chad, so. on the topic of affinity, what did you think of so many Masters showing up? Like, do you play Master of Ethereum in your list? I do. Like, I didn't play, I don't play the full four. I, I do bounce around, but Masters is, is really good. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that they went to four because... Um, I'd have to think that there was some inclination that people knew uh, people were on these Eldrazi lists and burn and all that. 
Um, if you slam in a Master of Ethereum, um, you could really race Burn and Infect, and I think that's really why they included them in this list because there's really not much they can do about it. Uh, it's just too big, other than like you know, smash the Smithereens or something like that out of the board. But um, yeah, I, I do really love Master of Ethereum. It's it was a good uh, Pro Tour choice. Um, any other kind of final thoughts on this? I know like there's just a lot to take away. Um, it was interesting. One of the comments on the previous podcast was, uh, they couldn't wait to what we were talking about. Cause yeah, I mean, like it was just totally different than what we were talking about last week. I mean, we did not expect this at all. I don't think anybody did, especially well, not like the rest of the match. If you ignore Eldrazi, we were kind of right. correct. Burn effect, but we missed right. Tron. Tron apparently just does not exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but Vern, Affinity, and Fact were all there. They were just trumped by Eldrazi. And what happened to Tron? Like, everything's too fast now? Like, all the decks have very little interaction. They just go straight into face and end the game in, like, turn 3 4. And I guess Tron can't deal with that? Like, not enough pyroclasms? Like, what, what's happening there? Also, where's, like, where's Kozilek's return? I thought, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of lose the Ugin, too, I guess, to an extent, since everything's colorless in the Eldrazi deck. So you can't just play Ugin and, like, get back from being behind on board. I don't know if yeah. that plays into it. You know, how sick would it be if Kozilek's return was uh, Eldrazi tribal sorcery? <laughs> or instant, I mean. Just yeah. one mana. <laughs> just one mana instant speed pyroclasm. I thought it was it was very interesting. Like, going into the Pro Tour, one of the things I was curious about was which Eldrazi deck was going to be, like, the deck going forward. And we still don't really know that. There was still a lot of different builds of Eldrazi. But one thing that was very clear is you want to be playing, like, these aggro Eldrazi lists. No one basically showed up playing Ulamog, Kozilek. Um, even Oblivion Sower was mostly, like, a sideboard card or, like, a fringe part of people's decks. So the the older versions where you were looking to play Heartless Summoning into reducing the cost of your Conduit of Ruin so you can play an early Ulamog, like, that's not how Eldrazi looks in Modern anymore. Like, you're these aggro builds. So right. wh- while I still don't know what the right build is of Eldrazi, uh, I know it's not a build with Ulamog and those big expensive creatures. No, not at all. <laughs> Uh, it's not rhetorical. I'm really kind of looking for the answer. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys: if they didn't ban twin, do you think we would have seen a top eight like this? Like, not I don't I don't know. Maybe necessarily to the fact that twin could have handled this deck, but do you think that maybe so many pros would have maybe just defaulted to twin and not shown up with the Eldrazi list in in droves like this? Well, I think. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. I don't know if twin can beat Eldrazi. Like, I think it would have a chance because Twin has a lot of flexibility and you can customize your answers. Uh, So I think if Twin was built to beat Eldrazi decks, it would have some sort of chance. But I think it definitely is true that some amount of pros... Uh, because the pros really like the twin deck. Like if you look at GPs and other tournaments, there's a lot of people that just like playing twin and that's what they always play. So I think some number of people probably would have just defaulted to that deck because they knew it was good and the best deck in the format and maybe not spent weeks trying to build and tune the perfect Eldrazi list when you could knew you could just play the perfect twin list that you played from the last GP with a few updates. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of remember my second statement now. So, do you think it was just the success of this list or that just, like, do you attribute its success to the people playing the list or just how good this list is? Like, and just how good Eldrazi is. Um, like, if, if Channel Fireball did not show up with this list and some other, uh, you know, lesser, you know, well-named... I, I think you actually asked this, Seth, because um, it, I guess it's just a culmination of so many big players uh, sitting down and trying to make this list and... Uh, it being so successful um, without the Pantheon and Channel Fireball and everyone being on this list, do you think it would have showed up in droves like this? Uh, well, I don't know. I think having a big team on board with it is a big part of it, but there definitely right. were other people that showed up. Uh, um, like Frank piloted a blue black build to the top eight. There was a blue red build that won the tournament. So I don't think right. it would have been as prevalent if it wasn't for Channel Fireball bringing 20 of the best players in the world to the tournament with that deck, but it still would have performed well. I still think that right. uh, Jason Tao would have won 
the tournament because he had an awesome Eldrazi deck. So I think the deck right. would have still been the talk of the tournament, even without Channel Fireball. But they definitely pushed it to being like this epic proportion historic event because they showed up with it. I'd love to see a tournament breakdown from JC Tao because I'd have to wonder if his list really was so successful because he was preying on a lot of the other Eldrazi lists, which clearly didn't seem to match up too well against his blue-red version, or he was just really destroying everything he was coming into contact with. Well, their, um, their team had one loss going into the top eight from the Swiss, yeah. so their their deck just destroyed everything, apparently, and okay. it just happened to destroy Colorless Eldrazi <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what do you think of uh, the, the, the questions I posed, uh, Richard? Uh, so I think if Twin was still in the format, it'd be a lot more interesting. We were talking before the cast, like, what what does it take to be, uh, to beat Eldrazi? And the answer was kind of stall them out for the first two turns and then infinite combo them. And we talked about, you know, Coco Build and Spike Feeder. And Twin would fall in that category, right? You turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Remand, turn three Twin, turn four Twin, right? Or uh, Xever XR Twin, right? So, right. you know, and then obviously the Eldrazi deck would have to adapt. And then, you know, they they could they would have to be less greedy, right? They'd have to play Cavern of Souls. Uh, they'd have to play more interaction and things like that. And then the deck is kind of watered down in the other matchups. And I think it would create a more dynamic metagame. Uh, so, but, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, you know, if Twin was still around, though, I think the pros would have found the Eldrazi deck anyway. Uh, I think they all did their due diligence. They all holed up for two weeks and came up with the best modern decks. So I think that would have happened regardless, right? So, you know, and that was most of the decks in the format, right? Affinity, Infect, Burn, mostly no interaction, just going straight to the face. With Twin in the format, you ha- you kind of have to get some interaction in there, and that would kind of slow everything down. So that's how I felt it It showed out, uh, it, it played out. Um, but, but definitely, you know, had Twin been not banned, I think Eldrazi would have showed up anyway, but I don't know if they would have seen the same level of success. Yeah. So yeah, that was just kind of a couple thoughts I had to myself. Like during the tournament, I figured I I ask you guys when we casted this week. I, I don't really know the answer either. I, I'm leaning towards what you're saying, Richard. It definitely would have been interesting to see if Twin was still around to see how many people either defaulted to Twin or used Twin as a tool to really you know combat this Eldrazi list. And I, I do think it would have had some success. I don't know. You're right. It probably would have kept the Eldrazi list to either default to another build or, you know, not be so uh, greedy uh, in its deck, you know, in its deck construction. So, yeah, I I, I kind of think uh, I kind of like where you guys were going with that. Um, I really have no like final things to say about the tournament. I, I thought it was great overall. The coverage was great. It was great to see, you know, a list come out of left field, even if it was kind of degenerate. <laughs> but uh, who knows where we're going forward. I'd have to say, you know, trying to be as level-headed as I can, that um, something will likely be done, um, especially if the next few GPs are, uh, uh, you know, are anything indicative of what we saw at Pro Tour. So question for you guys. What yeah. happened to all the blue decks that Twin was holding back? <laughs> so so a, couple, a couple weeks ago um, – Sam Black and a couple of people wrote articles right about when the twin banning came out um, saying, oh, like this is going to like expand the metagame and more blue decks will be playable. This is a great thing, which was part of what Wizards like initial reasoning was for banning twin. And then the next tournament was a SCG tournament. Todd Anderson won it with like Teamer Delver and everyone pointed that and said, look, it worked like we got rid of twin and now you can play other blue decks. You can play Teamer Delver. And apparently that was just completely not true because we had a pro tour and blue is just utterly unplayable in modern. It wasn't that it wasn't that Splinter Twin was holding down the diversity of the blue decks. Splinter Twin was making decks with blue in it playable because you actually had a way to win the game in a reasonable amount of turns and amount of time. So without Splinter Twin, I'm really worried that blue has just gone from the format, which is sad because I love remand and cryptic command and like cool blue cards in modern. And I just don't know if they're playable period because of the banning. Yeah, I mean, you tweeted out a really interesting question. It's like someone comes up to you tomorrow, doesn't know anything about modern, asks you about modern, they're really excited. What do you recommend to these players? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, just don't play modern until April, <laughs> until something gets banned. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, you know, you... or do you do you recommend burn to this person that is asking about modern? I don't know. If you're Eldrazi. Like, yeah, I mean, how can you tell someone to buy the Eldrazi deck with everyone, like all of us on the cast are saying that 
sooner or later in the next year, it's likely to get spanned. Can you really tell someone to invest $1,000 in good conscience into a deck that you know is likely to get banned in the next year? Or do you tell them right. to play a deck that you know is just going to lose to Eldrazi and then probably <laughs> turn them off to the format altogether when they play Burn and get chaliced on one each game against Eldrazi? So, so I really don't know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I know, I can't remember who tweeted it, uh, but I can't, can't remember. I know someone was saying you, they can't actually recommend any deck but Eldrazi in Modern right now. Might have been Chris uh, Van Meter, might have been Cedric. I don't know. But uh, I, yeah, was... I know Cedric, for one, said uh, he was watching the tournament too and uh, was laughing to think, like, if they unbanned Ancestral Visions, what it would be doing right now, which is, like, literally nothing. <laughs> so, so my question, since we're all asking questions, considering what happened this past weekend and looking at the Modern ban list, is there... Any card that's currently banned in Modern that is actually more broken than the two lands that are legal in Modern? Or are they, these just the most broken cards in all of Modern and they're legal in the format? Like Jace, Bloodbraid Elf, the Artifact Lands, uh, Jitty, like any of that stuff. Is that Does any of that compare to Eldrazi Temple and uh, Ayavugan? So GTA is insanely broken, but it may not yeah. matter because we're in basically a combo meta. <laughs> Deathrite <laughs> Shaman is also very broken. So... So I don't know, like, you can't unban these because eventually the Aljazi deck will get taken care of, and then you have all these other broken cards <laughs> running around. Like, you know, it's cool to unban Jason yeah. Bloodbraid Elf, you know, because you're going to die on turn two to Aljazi. But once Aljazi's taken care of, then you have Bloodbraid Elf and Jace running around. So it's right. a difficult thing, but there are some cards that are pretty broken. GTA is pretty broken. I think Death I wonder. Shopping. I wonder, like, how the meta would look if you just unbanned, like... Treasure Cruise and uh, Dig Through Time again. And now we have, like, super broken blue cards and super broken Eldrazi cards and see what we do. <laughs> see where we go from there. Or even just you ban unbanned Preordain or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, without Twin, like, Preordain all you want. <laughs> it's not yeah. bad, right? It's because Twin was sitting there that those Preordains and Ponders really hurt. But maybe they're yeah. not too bad. I, I have to lean towards what you're saying, Richard. Like, I, I don't know. Like, to be honest, to answer your question, Seth, everything looks tame compared to what we're looking at. Uh, I don't know if anything really looks broken on that list when we're looking at like a pretty reliable turn three, like turn like at least turn three uh, reality smasher. Sometimes on turn two, like all this, like this just this Eldrazi list doing things probably before it should be doing it. You know, a couple of turns before it should be real reliably playing those cards um but you know i would i would see if we would reevaluate that after uh eldrazi gets taken care of or if you know maybe maybe they figure if they do something like takes like like we were just talking about like preordain or something like that uh off to to combat this maybe you have to fight broken stuff with broken stuff i guess i don't know but uh yeah like if you unban stuff like that and then you end up banning eldrazi then you're left with the you know the stuff that you unban, and now that's, like, causing problems. So, I don't know where we go from here. Maybe we just settle on dealing with Eldrazi first. Uh, Richard, one other question. Is it going to show up in Legacy? You're the Legacy aficionado. So, I actually read about this a bit, and apparently <laughs> people are trying it. Apparently, they're playing it like a mud deck, but I I, I think it's still, like, tier two. Like, Legacy doesn't. If you want to play no interactive cards, then some storm player is going to kill you on their first turn. So like it doesn't matter. Right. Right. We already have broken mana. We already have ancient tomb city traders. You can get four mana if you want to turn two. Uh, so I I don't know. Uh, but people are trying it. That's that's scary. People are seeing it as like some kind of alternate mud deck. Um, but I don't think it'll be that good ultimately because uh, is it just you need interaction, fast? right? Like. Like, I don't know, like, you can slam Thrag Tusk, right? Like, you can play these <laughs> other cards with the same broken mana cost. So it's not that new to Legacy. Like, that's basically, um, uh, the name of the deck escapes me. The one with Veteran Explorer, where they just play all these standard staples. Nick Fit. Nick Fit. Because they basically get broken mana, and they play Primeval Titan and Thrag Tusk, right? <laughs> so things like that. So that deck kind of exists, and I don't know if Aldrazi... You know, their yeah. abilities are okay, but I don't know if that puts it over the top when people can kill you on turn one and turn two in, in Legacy. Yeah, whether it be like a mud deck or or more of like a stompy list. I mean, I'm sure it's viable to an extent, but I think Richard's right here. There's just more 
like broken stuff then yeah it's like i i daze your play then i wasteland you okay go yeah (laughs) right it's like Like you're you're severely limited at that point yeah it's like okay you could do your your turn one or turn two reality smash or i'll just do like a turn two grizzle brand like okay (laughs) let's let's fight you know i don't know so here's another question for you guys has wizards found the secret sauce to modern pro tours basically find some tribal synergy that is on the verge and then just print a bunch of new cards that puts it over the top because remember well, clearly they temple clear- and i have yeah. been around for a while there's just nothing to play with them right <laughs> and they and they had to have can this i don't care what ian duke says they had to have known this was going to happen i don't care what he says 50 sets in modern you don't know like what synergies come up over that span i'm i'm calling baloney on that well, one i'm sorry I- like <laughs> It's not you like can't. there's no way. It's not like you had to look that deep. It's like mythic rares that were printed three years ago. It's not like some obscure common from Mirrodin block that suddenly broke the format. Like I mean, you just reprinted both of them like not even six months ago. I mean, yeah. you someone had to know like that's a card in modern. Like at some point, like there's it's not just Ian Duke and like one other person sitting at the table. Like all right, let's uh let's make oath of the gate watch and like <laughs> someone at one point had to speak up and say like. Hey, you know, isn't there like that card in World Wake or something like that? I have Ugin, that's the one. Yeah, like, doesn't that make some of this stuff like free or like, like a lot better than like what we're making them? Like, I don't know. What's What's interesting is that Ian Duke, uh, they were asking him this, and they were they were toying with the idea of uh, Reality Smasher being more than one colorless mana. Uh, in its casting cost, and I, I think they probably should have made it more than one <laughs> colorless in its casting cost. Because, I mean, even if you take out, um, you know, it's still a really good card and easily splashable in a deck with just a pain land, whether it be standard or modern. I mean, it's still pretty good. It's a good card. I mean, I don't know. But uh, back to your original question, Richard, I think that the answer is yes. I mean, it doesn't have to be a tribal synergy, but print some busted cards uh when there's a modern pro tour coming up i i was actually even before the pro tour was thinking that but i was uh, worried it felt too much like some weird conspiracy theory that wizards intentionally <laughs> because if you look back to fate reforged monastery mentor ugin soulfire grandmaster like those cards were way more modern playable than the cards from the big fall set and that also lines up with a pro tour so i was I was wondering if that plays into their thought process at all, is we know we have this modern pro tour. We want some cards to show up, some of the new cards. So we are more likely to put modern staples or modern playables in the, in the winner set because of that. Well, then I think shadows over Innistrad is going to be insanely broken because uh, if, if we have a pro tour highlighting shadows over Innistrad, then I guess we're in for a really big treat. But that's because, standard, uh, right? what, Yeah. What, well, I mean, when's the next modern they, pro tour? Well, I mean, it, I think it's the, the, the underlying message here is that do they push sets before a Pro Tour? Like, if they're highlighting a set for a Pro Tour, I mean, yeah, this wasn't a standard set, but, I mean, what were all the cards being played? They were from Battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch. But it, it so, doesn't, to be fair, it doesn't take that much for cards to be playable and standard just because the format is so small. So pretty much any set you're going to have some... I, I don't know. We, we saw we saw Battle for Zendikar literally have, like, it, no impact. So. I think... <laughs> I think it is true that Oath of the Gatewatch had more impact on its modern Pro Tour than Battle for Zendikar did at its standard Pro Tour. Yes. Which is insane. Like, that should not happen. (laughs) Probably not. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting... I don't know if there's really a conspiracy thing going on. I'm certain some people will entertain that and try to come up with some elaborate conspiracy theories out there that like, you know, maybe some wizard employee put the put the deck underneath the table is like, here Luis, go take this and like bring it to your team and then we will unleash sale Drazi on, on modern. I, I, I'm gonna say the top caliber players are not at Wizards and that they're I, actually in those pro houses. I I well, thought, yeah, some representative in a suit and tie comes up with a briefcase with a piece of paper on it, you know, like here. Louise, take this to your team. Go, go make us proud. <laughs> the, big, the big problem with that theory is, have you ever seen the Future Future League decks? <laughs> I, I, they published them in articles like six months after the point, and most of the time they are very untuned and sometimes completely unplayable. So I, I'm not too worried about Wizards building the most broken deck in Modern <laughs> and shipping it to some random pro. I think it's more likely to be the other way around. <laughs> 
Oh man, yeah, probably not. There, I mean, there was it, it's, some, it's, it's, it's interesting thought. There, there was some article about the Future Future League, and one of it was them boasting that they finally got the the people in there to sleeve up the decks and play them. So, <laughs> like, I, I think we give it way more credit. It's probably like a one hour meeting, like once a month, where <laughs> people get together and like try to forecast. Like, I don't think it's as serious as we make it out to be. Hey guys, like, this, this is totally gonna be viable and standard. Like werewolves, like you know, I'm just gonna make my werewolf like tribal deck. Yeah, like I bet you the like the protesting before the pro tour like logs way more hours than the future future league. Oh has. yeah, probably. Right, but that's only like two weeks, right? Theoretically, <laughs> these people are working like all year, but I don't think that that level of effort and intensity is present. Yeah, probably not. Okay, moving along. Um, any just last minute things while we're talking about? Uh, I think we covered a lot of what was going on at Pro Tour. Um, some financial uh fallout from. Uh, Pro Tour as well, Seth. We saw basically every Aldrazi that was ever on camera during the like over the weekend basically went up, um, and some interesting cards also went up uh, in response to trying to combat this list. Cards like uh, Worship is now a <laughs> thirty dollar card. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like every version's now like twenty bucks plus. That's not uh, my fault. Uh, good job, Seth. Um, Painter Servant is a $35 card. I, I think, uh, you know, um, Jeff Hooglin was talking about, uh, you know, Painter Servant being a pretty good card against that that strategy. I don't know. But do you I want really to explain why one. it's a good card? Oh, yeah. So let me explain why Painter Servant is good against Eldrazi. It's because both of the lands specifically talk about color, or colorless Eldrazi spells. And Painter Servant, you can name, you know, whatever color and it'll make them a different color. And then it's basically negating both of the lands at the same time. Um, what's What sucks is that it's a 1-3 and they just dismember it and keep going. I don't know, like, I, I don't know how you really defend that, but I guess it's okay. I see Angel's Grace is also up to almost 20 bucks. I'm assuming, like... Everyone attacks you with their uh, reality smashers, and you're like, ha-ha, Angel's Grace, gotcha, yeah, not dying yeah. this turn. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's for the Ad Nauseum combo, I think, which is supposed to be uh, decent against Eldrazi. Yeah, that deck seems actually decent against Eldrazi, because you ley line, so they can't thought not you, and then you just combo and kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, real interesting. Uh, Carpusen Forest is up uh, also. I don't know what's I going on there. don't understand, like... To me, that's a budget Tron card that people use as a replacement for a Go for the Burn Willows. And Tron was horrible this weekend, so I'm yeah. not sure why people are buying uh, the forest there. I think it's because um, I think I mean I've seen some of these five O. Uh, I mean you you have them posted, Richard. These modern leagues where now suddenly maybe it's a response to the Pro Tour. Uh, some of these red green lists now packing Grove and Carpusen Forest. Uh, trying to go huge with World Breaker and Kozilek's Return and stuff like that. So maybe that's a uh, response to the Pro Tour. I know last night I was watching Joe Lissette stream, and he's building a pretty interesting-looking white-green Tron deck yeah. in Modern that's supposed to uh, is basically designed to beat Eldrazi is the reason he's building this deck. And it looked pretty sweet, so maybe that's something. Maybe there is a Tron deck out there, just that the Tron decks we had before aren't built to beat Eldrazi, but there might be a Tron deck that can beat Eldrazi. Yeah, it's like a it's like a uh, virus mutating into a different strain, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, as as people are talking about Painter's Servant and Ensnaring Bridge and and Prismatic, you know, uh, Ghost Pris- Ghostly Prison. They're like, oh yeah, let's let's preemptively uh, deal with that by packing four World Breakers, and we'll we'll make sure you know none of that stuff works. So I guess that's uh, what they're doing. Interesting. Um, moving along, we have some fish mail. So let's talk about some fish mail. All right. So from DJ Tiny Tim, uh, if waste becomes a thing going forward, what do you think the chances are we'll see a dual lands and fetch lands that feature waste? Uh, so he has called it a volcanic ruin, which is a fetch land which you can uh, crack and you can get either a red or colorless land. So fetch lands and shock lands that are half colorless. Oh, God, we do not need something that can fuck up Eldrazi <laughs> Temple. <laughs> Please, no. Yeah. 
I, this might have been asked before the Pro Tour, so obviously our responses are definitely skewed uh, since we've seen uh, Eldrazi take over. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to make uh, Eldrazi any better than it is. On, on the <laughs> other hand, you could have a land that searched up a forest and a wastes. But I don't right. think you can just say any colorless land, because there are some absurd colorless lands, like Library of Alexandria. That's a colorless yeah. land. Well, to be a fetch land, yeah. it's got to be waste, right? Because they, they list the basic types, or the, yeah. the names. Yeah. But right. I don't think this is a thing. Like, I, I don't think... I don't think so, either. Wizards will push colorless as far, and you already have tons and tons of options to get colorless and colored mana on the same land. So I, I don't know that it's necessary, and I don't think they're going to go down this route. I, I don't know. I, I think we will see Colorless again at some point. Maybe we see it in uh, the uh, Innistrad block, but I don't think we're going to be seeing Wastes. And I think they actually said that they're not uh, pushing Wastes um, again for quite some time. Yeah, um, specifically. Right. Yep. Yeah, so... I don't, yeah, I don't really think uh, this will go anywhere. Uh, unfortunately, sorry, uh, Tiny Tim. All right, uh, this next question is interesting. It's about, uh, I don't know, journalistic integrity. Uh, so <laughs> most of Magic content produced uh, from larger sources uh, or from large stores like Star City Games, Channel Fireball, and even yourselves and others. Every now and again, SCG will publish an article that is critical of something that Wizards has done, and I find that absolutely liberating. But most of the time, I can't feel but help there's an agenda of just selling product. And that agenda influences how magic writers report the news, so to speak. Like, sometimes you get a feeling that there isn't enough critical voices and people are unwilling to look at stuff critically, uh, but just ride the wave fed to them by Wizards. So do you guys think there is a problem with free press in magic? Are people from different places unwilling to press Wizards' decisions hard enough? I think, um, I think we I think we find enough dissenting even amongst pros. Like if they don't like something, they're gonna say you know they're gonna say something because they know Wizards is listening to them at the end of the day. So there's definitely some dissenting. Uh, you know, everyone isn't just singing like Kumbaya, like you know, riding the you know Woodstock wave of uh, Wizards that's being you know forced down their throat. I mean, there is some. You know, people that are going to be pushing product. Uh, there's going to be articles that deal with that. I don't know if you've listened to this cast for the past year. I, I don't know if there's like, I don't, maybe a couple casts in the past year that we have not said something negative about Magic Gathering online. So, or, you know, to some effect to trying to make it better. So I think there's definitely plenty of voices out there that are against some of the things or if anything to try and help improve the game that everyone likes so much. Ah. <sighs> I think that it's important to remember, too, uh, that these companies, Star City Games, Channel Fireball, and pro players to some extent, are dependent on Wizards for their livelihood. And to a large yeah. extent, like, Wizards gives them GPs, Wizards cuts pros a paycheck and pays their appearance fees. So I don't think that most pros and these writers are intentionally uh just supporting some wizard's agenda. But I think that it is possible there's some unconscious bias. If you're trying to decide, am I going to write this or am I going to, am I going to write that? Maybe in the back of your mind, without even realizing it, you might err on the side of not being too controversial because you know that that relationship is important for you to maintain. So I don't think it's a a conscious decision and people are just writing wizards propaganda, but I could see there being some subconscious like aspects to it without people even realizing it that can influence uh, their writing or reporting. Yeah. I would have to say it's pretty even in the sense that, you know, you'll, you'll see, you know, articles from Paolo or something like that uh, talking about like sideboarding and modern or something like that. That's something, you know, they need to change or something they need to address or, you know, you're going to get plenty of different, uh, a, a, a large spectrum of uh, articles dealing with a, a myriad of different things. So I don't think everyone is just always 100 uh, percent, you know, on the Wizards of the Coast bandwagon. And But I do agree to set to some extent is that I, I think people would err on the side of not openly bashing uh, Wizards of the Coast. I mean, really for good reason. I mean, I don't, I don't see Wizards of the Coast as this, like, kind of evil corporate entity. I mean, for a long time, I mean, they've maintained this game, and they, they, they've largely listened to the community on a lot of different things and really have 
made a lot of improvements over the years uh, to the game and to keep people playing. So I think that's why a lot of people really don't, uh, you know, want to take a stance too, is because they just want to improve the game at the end of the day. What what do uh, you think, Richard, as someone that actually owns a content-producing MTG site? Yeah, so I think you guys hit all the important, the important points. It's not as black and white as uh, people are making it out to be, but there is no Magic the Gathering slash Wizards of the Coast without the community. And there is no community uh, right. without Magic the Gathering. So, you know, having said that, I, I don't think content is skewed uh, to be positive towards Wizards. I don't think that's the real problem. Like, you see plenty of articles about people calling out Magic Online, about, you know, the state of modern, the state of standard, you know, even, like, how much money they pay out at the Pro Tour. We see all of those critical articles. Uh, that's not where I would be concerned about free press. I, I would be more concerned about the free press aspect uh, when it comes uh to like stores and things like that right they're, they they may not be pushing wizards agenda right but they're pushing their own agenda right remember like sites like channel fireball and star city games they they're a store at the end of the day right and their job is to sell cards right and that may or may not influence what's written right so that to me is the more gray area like you hope these pros are not selling out you hope like when they give you advice it's legitimate and they think it's the best card rather than it's you know oh a card that's decent and it's something i need to sell right so i think that's where more of the gray area comes to like what are these site owners what are their agendas what are they pushing rather than you know why are we pushing wizards agendas right because i don't think you know for the most part you know wizards just puts out the game it's like i'm not trying to further wizards business or anything right but i am trying to further my own business Right. So that I think is where, uh, you know, that comes into play. And that happens with all press. Right. You know, when you read the Wall Street Journal and there is an article critical of something and then there's an ad sitting beside there, you're like, well, was this actually critical or, you know, did this other sponsor pay them off to say this? And that's kind of just journalism and integrity. And, you know, eventually people find out and the sites that kind of remain true to their cause will bubble to the top. And then the sites that are biased or influenced, people kind of discard and say are not trustworthy. So I think that's how it plays out. I think it's just like all other forms of media. I don't think there's anything special going on uh, in this regards. Yeah, well said, Richard. I I agree with everything you said. I like your answer. And I I think yours is an important one because, uh, you know, we... You own, you own a content site, and I think your 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 view on this particular uh, question is very valid. Yeah, we call out Magic Online all the time. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> and also, uh, some people at Wizards don't like that too. <laughs> so, but we still do it because uh, it is it's. <sighs> The thing I try to explain to people is I feel like I write a decent amount of articles that call out Magic Online or different things. And the thing I I try to impress on people is I'm doing this because I really love Magic and I really love Magic Online. So I think you really do. (laughs) I do. I love Magic Online more than most people probably. I I spend a ton of time on there making videos and stuff. So even when I'm criticizing Magic Online, I'm doing it from this place of love where I want to see it succeed. And I think that's the great thing about the magic community and its relationship with wizards is beyond everything else and the conflicts and bannings and all the silly stuff that happens is wizards of the coast and the magic community uh, beyond everything else want to see magic succeed. And that like helps push the game forward. Even when we do have conflicts over specific situations. So that, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I really appreciate about both wizards and the community. Yeah. Well said. All right. Moving on uh, from at random uh, Keho, uh, do you guys know why Temporal Mastery has such a price difference between Magic Online and uh, in real life, uh, as well as other time walk effects? Uh, time walk effects. Yeah, Kim H, a, a regular in the fish mail department. So Temporal Mastery, fourteen tickets. Oh, sorry, seventeen tickets online, seven dollars in paper. Still redeemable. It is not redeemable. But one of the the weird things that happens is because redemption only works one way, and you can turn Magic Online cards into paper cards, but you can't turn paper cards into Magic Online cards. For some of these mythics from sets, uh, people redeemed a lot of them to get their, like, Grizzlebrands, for example, that was in that set. Uh, uh, Avacyn, uh, uh, whatever it's called, the mythic Avacyn. Avacyn Restored. Avacyn Restored, yes, thank you. Um, 
but so people redeem those into paper cards, which reduces the supply on Magic Online. So when the demand for these cards come up, uh, with example, the extra turn deck in Modern, which was fairly popular on Magic Online for a while, even though it didn't really catch on in paper, there's not as much supply because some of the supply of Avacyn Restored on Magic Online has been shifted into the paper world through re- uh, Redemption. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, that pretty much answers that question. I don't really have anything to add to that. That's a good answer. I didn't know. I was confused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next question. Uh, at Engineer Nerd 7 uh, I have Legacy Death and Taxes and don't play Legacy like I used to. Would it be worth selling the deck to get into Modern? Uh, before we move on, I just uh, I just had one more point actually to add to Seth. So that's what Seth said is basically all correct. And to add to that, that's why we see before Redemption, some of the more obscure mythics start to increase as people are redeeming for paper uh, sets, right? Like yep. we usually do see that as that um, that happens. So then, you know, with with X more time uh, from not being redeemed, now we even the the random mythics are suddenly more money because they were trying to redeem to get the ones that they're actually playing. Yeah, typically all the junk mythics, and especially uh, foil junk mythics, yeah. uh, are very high while Redemption is around. But as soon as that Redemption window closes, like they just tank and become like worthless. So Temporal Mastery is an interesting one because it kind of got pumped up by everyone trying to redeem Avacyn Restored. But then there's actual demand for this card, so it remains high because everyone kind of cashed out a moto, and uh, there's not enough Temporal Masteries left in the system. Right. But yeah, uh, moving on to... Uh... Engineered Seven's question. Uh, go ahead, uh, Seth. You were going to say something. Um, actually, I forgot what the question was. Uh, oh, guys, have legacy deck like, taxes yeah. and don't play legacy anymore. Would it be worth selling the deck to get into modern? I mean, if you don't, I'd say yeah. I mean, if you don't play legacy and and you're looking to get into modern, I mean, by all means, I think yes. I would try to see if there's a list. I think there's a modern death and taxes or or something like that or uh, some some sort of vile deck uh, still around in existence that some of these cards can carry over so you don't really have to get rid of everything but uh, I mean yeah if you don't really play legacy I don't see what the big deal is I, I would say I go agree. for it. I agree with that. I just would put out the warning, like, be aware that you're trading uh, your ports, for example, for Eldrazi Temples and Eye of Ugans, and there's a huge difference in risk between owning yeah. legacy cards that are on the reserve list and owning modern cards in a format where there's constant shakeups, bannings, and likely more bannings on the horizon, like we've been talking about all uh, all cast. So if you just want to play modern, I say definitely go for it. It's silly to keep a deck that you're not even using, uh, like your legacy deck. But just be warned that you are moving into a, a higher risk format as far as like the financial perspective. And there is a chance yeah. that you could lose value, which isn't likely to happen with your legacy right. deck. Yeah, even reprints added to that, like uh, to that long list, just a, a ton of different variables. Um, yeah, it's not so so clear cut. I mean, I would say go for it, especially if you're not using it at all. But uh, like I said, if there's some carryover, if you can, if there's enough cards that you can carry over into modern, I would say maybe look into just start acquiring some of the modern uh, staples just on their own. This way, you can keep all those uh, ports and all that. And when you want to play Legacy, you have Legacy. And when you want to play Modern, you have Modern. Yeah, maybe so that, I, that I was in might be something to look at. I was in this exact same situation. Uh, I used to play Legacy every week. Uh, you know, in all the big tournaments, and then I moved, and there's no legacy around here. Uh, so the most popular format, uh, non-rotating format, is modern. So I started playing modern. I didn't have to sell my deck; it's kind of just sitting there. But I stopped actively trying to build my legacy collection. Like I don't collect legacy staples and things like that anymore, but I do for modern. So I basically switched into a modern player. And you know, if you don't play legacy anymore, then that deck doesn't do anything. So if you're at all interested in modern or even standard, I would just do it, right? You know, financially, it seems a bit bad, but this is a game we play to enjoy, right? And just having a stack of cash sitting at home, like, doesn't get you any enjoyment. So I would, you know, I would convert the cards into modern and play modern. The the only caveat is modern's really weird right now with the Eldrazi running around and they're probably going to get banned. <laughs> uh, so be careful <laughs> what, what deck you, you play and, uh, you know, what, what you convert it into. Um, but... You know, modern's a different beast. It, it feels more like standard compared to legacy, so it's going to play differently. Uh, I wouldn't recommend building hate bears or death and taxes in modern just because you played it in legacy, because those two decks are totally different. 
Like mm-hmm. they have the same name, but they don't actually play the same way. Right. So I, I would just actually just look at all the decks top to bottom and, you know, look at what you'd like to play, proxy it up, test it out, and then just get into modern at uh, come, your pace. Come to think of it, the, the better thing to do actually might be to, over the next couple months, sell off your, your legacy cards and get a good price and then wait until the next G- round of GPs are over to kind of see what the format looks like. I would just be really hesitant to buy a deck that is subpar uh, that might perform well in this Eldrazi meta just because it beats Eldrazi or to buy Eldrazi because of the, the banning potential. So I would try to hold off until April if you can, till the next ban and restricted announcement, just because there's a big risk that you buy Troll Worship or All in Red because it's really good against Eldrazi, for example. But then once they ban Eldrazi, you have a deck that's kind of tier two, and that's your main deck in the in the format. So I would be I would hold off a little bit just because of that. Yeah, and depending yeah. on what your legacy collection looks like, the easiest way for legacy players to play modern is either Merfolk or Burn. Uh, if you have either of those legacy decks, like you just need a couple bucks of modern cards to to build the modern version. And those two decks are kind of the same. Merfolk is pretty similar. Burn is a lot more underpowered, but they share a lot of the same cards and the the, the same expensive cards. Yep. And that is all our fish mail. Okay. Interesting. All right. A um, couple last things out the door before we wrap things up. Um, we did get the. Um, the modern uh, Pro Tour Gauntlet, uh, the new um, format that they're going to have on MTGO, so I would definitely check that out. They released those on the, the homepage. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were discussing this before, Kaz. It looks overall really good. So uh, it should be fun for as long as it's out. I, I, I do think they should have it for more than a week. That's just me. But uh, yeah, so that should be fun. Um, both of the Gatewatch game day is this weekend. So if you're looking to do that, uh, it's also Valentine's Day for anyone out there that has forgotten. Uh, <laughs> here's your reminder. Uh, so we we always try to look out for people. Um, last minute things out the door. All right. So I think we covered everything. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we will see you all next week. And uh, until then, uh, enjoy the uh, Pro Tour Gauntlet. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, enjoy the Pro Tour Gauntlet. Enjoy game day. And we will be back uh, for next week. So this is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.